Yesterday, I asked my middle son, Riley, why he wasn't hanging out with friends, and he said that they were all really busy because it was the day that their friend group got together to do their fantasy football draft. Anybody in here into fantasy football? Anybody? So basically, yes, okay. Basically, I had to educate myself on this. It's like creating your dream football team from all the different NFL players. You get to be the CEO, the manager, the coach, and then every week, based on how your player plays, you get certain points. And, and like you can trade out your players throughout the season just like as if you were a real CEO. And it made me think about some of my friends who have told me about these very, very elite, hardcore athletic drafts that they have been involved in. I'm not talking about the ones on ESPN where there's the, the almost professional basketball or football player and then like the, it's announced and then seamlessly they have like 10 pieces of paraphernalia for the team that they're going to go to and everybody's prepared and it's like you knew. It, it just seems like it all got put together so quickly. No, no, no. I am talking about hardcore second grade baseball. <laughs> and what happens is that the group of dads, and they get together around somebody's kitchen table, and then they, get, they draw numbers, and then they just get, begin to choose. And so it's like, do I choose my own kid first? Well, well no one's going to take my kid from me, right? So maybe I'll hold on till second or third because I want to make sure to get the person that balances out my kid's strengths. And so at the end of it, I have this team that I think will allow me to be the most successful. As I was reflecting on Jesus and his draft of his disciples, I wondered, did he, did he wake up in the mornings and say, you know, I kind of have a job description for how I want these people to be. Like there's certain strengths and certain weaknesses that I want to avoid, that there's strengths I want, and I want to make sure that they all kind of complement one another. Does it, did he think like it needs to be someone who works hard, even if they maybe haven't showered in a few days and smell like fish? Does it, it needs to be someone who hasn't made the cut. Like they didn't get to continue in Hebrew school. It needs to be a man because the world is not quite ready for women and men to be in equal leadership together. It needs to be someone who feels like they do not belong anywhere. Every one of the draft stories of Jesus calling his disciples to follow me, every one of those gives us information, gives us this insight on what type of people Jesus wanted to call. Who were the groups, the categories, the individuals that Jesus chose intentionally to have her, him around him and to go and do this ministry of sharing the good news, of healing the sick, of casting out the demons? To help us see this clearly, we're going to look at one of those draft stories today, one of those follow me stories. And as I read this text, I want you to, to see which of the groups or characters you identify with. This is from the Gospel of Luke. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. I tend to identify with the the Pharisees and the scribes. Day after day, walking through the streets of first century Palestine, just looking for someone to make a mistake. This person comes to mind. This is headmistress Dolores Umbridge, the Hogwarts school in the Harry Potter movies. And it's so evident that she is just looking around every corner for someone to make a mistake so that she can punish them. I I picture Principal Strickland from Back to the Future. All he wanted to do was find somebody doing something wrong. The Pharisees and the scribes, I imagine they were actually kind of flattered and excited that they got invited to Levi's party. They probably didn't get invited to a lot of parties, let alone party. It wasn't something that a Pharisee or scribe did. And so they get there and they see not just Levi, not just one tax collector, but it's all of these tax collectors. It is like the most ideal people judging opportunity ever. Like you and I like to people watch, you know, when we're at concerts and at the airport. This is people judging and so he's sitting there, and we're stand, the Pharisees are standing there, and they're seeing all this. And then they, they see that they're not only all of these really bad people hanging out together, but they're sitting at table, and they're eating and drinking, and you did not do that. You didn't associate with other people like that. It's not your house. It's not your party, but you just cannot keep your thoughts to yourself one more second. And so you say out loud, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I sometimes think I'm Levi. Like day after day, sitting in that hot tax booth alone. Anybody that walked onto your street, they immediately tried to avoid you, walk the other way. I imagine sitting in that tax booth day after day and like coming up with one-liners. Like, what am I going to say to that person that walks by and maybe I'll interest them and they'll, they'll come over to talk to me. Such a lonely life. Being a person that everybody wants to avoid. A person that no one invites over. A person that no one ever includes. What a lonely life. And then one day, someone turns onto the street And this person's actually with a crowd of people. And then they start walking towards Levi. And and then the man in the middle looks at him and says, follow me. And he had to look around. Like, who's he talking to? It can't be me. Well, of course he left everything. And then I think that's why he threw a party. That's why he threw a party that night. he He wanted to honor and celebrate the person who finally made him feel included. So excited. So excited about that, that he was invited. And so he invites others like him. He invites tax collectors, we're told. He even invites some 
others, some sinners. But then he invites the people that have rejected him. He invited those Pharisees and those scribes. Just so excited to be able to celebrate belonging. As many times as I have read this scripture, I find myself in like the, the judging category or in the wanting acceptance category. Like I'm either Levi or I'm a Pharisee or a scribe. And this time I couldn't get past this verse. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. You know, we're not told who the others are. We are not told anything except that they're sinners. And I wonder what had they done? What had they done to get that label from the Pharisees? I wonder if they were the people that didn't regularly show up to temple. Maybe they only went like on Pentecost and Passover. I wonder if they were the people that said, you know what, we're not going to make our kids memorize the scripture after age five. Because a good Jew, you did that until you were 13. I wonder if they were the people that weren't giving visibly in the temple. Well, all I know is they are identified as sinners, as other for some reason, they are just choosing to do life differently than the Pharisees. Who are the others in your life? Who do we find ourselves kind of putting into a category of, oh, they're other than me? Someone from a different culture, maybe, with a different accent that's hard to understand? Someone in a different economic class with a different social standing. It doesn't seem like you have a lot in common. Someone who identifies as gay or as transgender and you have a different view of what sexuality or gender is like. Who is the other for you? For me, it is the people who I view as totally different than me. Different from me in their ethic whether it be work or moral. And then what I do is, is I see them as unapproachable, and so then I give myself a pass. Have you ever given yourself a pass with those others? You're like, well, that's just the one group that I'm going to choose. They don't get to belong with me. I decide that for now, for that other, I'm not going to welcome them. It is scientifically proven that before the age of two and a half to three, that children do not show preference for other people based on like the dialect that someone speaks, the language they speak, the color of their skin, the age. But then something happens that by five or six, we see that children begin to practice othering. The studies show that if you have a toy in the hand of someone with the same color skin and a toy in the hand of someone with a different color skin, by age five or six, the children prefer the same, not the other. Now, there's like gajillions of reasons for why this could be true. We're not going to focus on that this morning. 
But what I say that for is that we need to realize the fact that from a very young age, all of us, we have been socialized to practice othering. We have been socialized to set apart different as not something that we need to be a part of. When you look at how Jesus walked and talked on this earth, though, he touched, went up to, reached out to people that were intentionally different than him. Jesus challenged othering. Jesus was like, no, actually, because you are so different than me, I want to draft you. I want to call you to follow me. Time after time over the course of Jesus' life, we see him question, why are there certain people, whether because of their nationality, their disability, their mental capacity, their economic standing, their culture, why are they being ignored and excluded? And he doesn't just question it, he pushes up against it. He says, I'm going to tear down that fence. I'm actually going to go talk to the adulterous woman. I'm actually going to go talk to the Samaritan woman. I'm going to go talk with the people, the tax collectors and the sinners. I am going to try to let all know that they belong. Jesus moved fences daily because he was desperate for people to know you have a community. You belong. All are welcome. And we have a responsibility to do the same, friends. It is up to us to live like Christ lived and challenge othering. Right here in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, on our social media platforms. And so I want to invite you to do that. And Jesus models it for us time and time again through the Gospels just by engaging in simple conversation with people. And so I want you to think right now, who is an other in your life? Who is some, someone that has shown up in your life for some reason, which I believe is God, over the past two to three weeks that is different than you? Different than you in some way that there is, there is this, this awkwardness almost. Who is that person? And then I want you, over this very week, I want you to invite them to a cup of coffee on us. When you leave here today, I want all of you to grab a $5 Starbucks gift card. It's not for you. It's for you to invite someone else for conversation, to challenge othering. I think Jesus had a job description when he did his draft. I think that he went out into the world and he intentionally looked for people who were headed different places than him, who looked different than him, and he said, come, follow me. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.